0: Amen. I'm going to start tonight in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not there, but waters the earth, and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Now let me, before I go further, there's another couple of scriptures I want to read, but before I do that, I want to read verse 10 from the uh, Septuagint. It says it this way, for as the rain for as rain shall come down or snow from heaven, and shall not return until it has saturated the earth, and it bring forth and bud and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It's talking about the the water cycle that God has created here uh, that governs the earth. When rain or moisture comes down from heaven, it saturates the ground. The Bible says the purpose for the saturation of the ground is to grow crops or grow food for the earth to, to produce for mankind. And then whatever water is not used evaporates back up into heaven and it starts all over again. It's a continuous cycle. And so God is saying that just as rain and snow comes down from heaven, so is his word. And just as rain and snow have a purpose for coming down from heaven to the earth, so does the word of God. So let me read this again, starting with verse 9. He said, "For As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, well, let me, let me make a comment on that verse, verse 9 too. God's not saying because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, we can't think them. He's not thumbing his nose at mankind saying my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. He's telling us to learn his thoughts, to learn to think his thoughts. He's telling us to learn his ways. He's not hiding anything from us. He's, I, he's uh, emphasizing the need for us to identify and, and learn his thoughts and his ways. Again, verse 10, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, as we read until it saturates the ground, it waters the earth, and makes it bring forth bud, bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Folks, God is telling us very specifically, pointedly, that the word of God is sent from heaven to accomplish certain things. It's sent from heaven to accomplish whatever the verse of Scripture, whatever the word he's delivered to us, pertains to. There are healing Scriptures, and those healing Scriptures accomplish healing in the body. There are Scriptures concerning prosperity or provision, and those Scriptures will produce results or provision. So when he says, So shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void meaning void of power the word void here just means empty he's saying the word of god doesn't return unto him empty now as we just identified the water cycle that he's comparing the word of god to we know how that works rain comes down saturates the ground for the benefit of the crops and the earth producing uh, for mankind and then water vapor evaporates or, or water evaporates into water vapor and it goes back up into heaven And the process starts all over again. Where the word is concerned, the word comes down from heaven as God speaks it. And it's intended to water the earth or to produce results in our lives. But then it returns unto him again. How does it return unto God? It returns when we begin to speak it. See, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Well, God's one witness when he speaks the word. And we're the second witness when we speak the word too. It won't produce anything for us even though it was sent to the earth to accomplish certain things, specific things, specific benefits for mankind. But the power of the word really comes into being when we speak the word and send it back to him. And that creates the cycle all over again. The more we confess the word, the more the results will occur. The more we are convinced and fully persuaded of what God's word will accomplish then as we act on that word and speak it confess it hold it dear in our hearts then it produces results now one thing i want you to notice again in the last part of verse 10 notice it says that it produces it makes the ground bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater god has two different purposes for it for his word producing in our lives one is to provide for us And the other is to provide so that we can help somebody else. He wants us to be sowers and eaters. Now granted, you can't can't bless somebody with something you don't have. And so the blessing first comes to us. You remember part of what God told Abraham when he first appeared to him. He said, I will bless you. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow to it. So God told Abraham, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. Well, you can't become a blessing until you're blessed yourself. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they find the crippled man, and the crippled man's asking for alms, begging for money. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And his feet and his ankle bones received strength, and he leaped up and stood, and everybody was amazed, and 5,000 people got got born again that day as a result of the healing of this crippled man at the beautiful gate of the temple but what Peter said is so true and it's a principle that works in every area he said such as I have give I thee." if you don't have something you can't give it when it comes to finances you can't give money that you don't have you can't be a financial blessing to somebody unless you've been blessed yourself isn't that right? So, when the Bible is speaking here, God is speaking, He says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void of power, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The word accomplish and the word prosper are similar in meaning. They're different words, but they're similar in meaning. The word accomplish means to make or to become in the widest application possible. In other words, it's a catch-all term that means it will produce big time because that's what God wants it to do. Then it says, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That word prosper means to increase. It means to magnify. So here from the Scripture, God is saying that the Word of God always returns with power. And again, the way it returns is when we speak it. Now turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. I've got some things stirring around in my heart about the subject of prosperity. And I know that there's some teaching that I need to do. I haven't done any teaching on it in a long time. But I know there's some teaching that I've got to do. I don't think I'm starting it tonight. This is just kind of to get my bearings. I'm of the opinion at this point that I probably need to wait till after the first of the year Well, we get a little bit away from the holidays and everybody gets their head back on normal life. But one of the things that we want to read in Matthew chapter 6, and it's uh, Matthew chapter 6, 5, 6, and 7, is all about the Sermon on the Mount. And so when Jesus is teaching, he taught his disciples to pray, Matthew 6, verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now we've talked about this phrase, thy kingdom come. It's the only place that really the scripture really identifies what the kingdom of God is. Now that should be significant to us because it was certainly significant to Jesus because it says when he chose his disciples, he sent them forth before his face into the cities where he was going to come later on. And he told them to preach the kingdom of God. He told them to preach the kingdom of God. He said, heal the sick that are therein. If they'll receive you, heal the sick. And say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto thee. Well, we can get a technical definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God would be the same thing as any kingdom. That territory and those boundaries that are under the the authority or under the control of a king. Well, so therefore the kingdom of God would be the realm or the kingdom that's under God's control. But how many of you know that that's not the earth at this point? God's in control of heaven, and there's nothing that can hurt or harm man in any way whatsoever there. But whereas he created the kingdom of God on the earth, when man fell, that threw a wrench in the whole work. And so as a result... Jesus is telling his disciples to pray that the kingdom of God would come and here's what that kingdom of God looks like where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Folks, God created the earth to be productive in every way for mankind's benefit. Before the fall, there were no thorns. There were no thistles. There was nothing even down to the smallest and most minute detail there was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind all those things came as a result of the fall when the law of the uh, law of sin and death began to reign on the earth and so before the fall things were on earth just like they are in heaven with one exception the devil was here present on the earth whereas the devil cannot be present in heaven But that didn't hinder the operation of God's plan until Adam and Eve disobeyed him and ate of the forbidden fruit. So here where God says, where Jesus is saying, pray that the kingdom of God would come, where the will of God is done on the earth just like it is in heaven. We don't pray that prayer today because the Bible says the kingdom of God's already come. The Bible says God's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his own dear son. Or from the power of darkness but you would understand that as relative to the kingdom of the enemy too so it's different for us but now notice the first thing jesus said after he's teaching his disciples to pray for the kingdom of god to come to the earth the very next thing he says as a part of the prayer that he teaches them to pray it's not a new testament prayer because it doesn't contain the name of jesus but it's got some tremendous principles in there that we can adapt for ourselves Notice the first thing he makes mention of relative to the kingdom of God being done on the earth. Give us this day our daily bread. God doesn't seem to have a problem with us asking him for things. Now I know the devil tries to make you think you can't. He'll make an argument about why you're, you're not worthy to receive or worthy to get it or it's not his will for you to have it or some silly thing like that. But Jesus teaches in direct connection with the kingdom of God coming. The very next thing Jesus says is tell, ask the Father to give you what you need. Give us this day our daily bread. Folks, God wants to give to us a lot more than we think he does. God's in the giving business. And just like we want to give to our children to make their life a blessing, to add blessing to their life. Even more so, God wants to do that with his people. So he says, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now skip down with me to verse 19. He's going to start talking about some other things that are pertaining to and attitudes that we should have relative to the kingdom of God or the will of God being done on the earth. But notice in verse 19, very early on, in the attitudes that we're supposed to have and the instruction that's given to us about how to live our Christian lives. Verse 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where the thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust does corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now he's talking about deception. He's talking about walking in the light and not allowing yourself to be deceived. Remember one of the things that the Bible says that uh, Jesus said in Mark chapter 4. In the parable of the sower sowing the word. One of the things that chokes out the word and keeps it from being fruitful is the deceitfulness of riches. And one of the first things that Jesus starts talking about is laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. And not just treasure on the earth. So it has to do with our attitudes. It has to do with our thought life. It has to do with thinking right concerning the things that we need here on the earth. So let's read verse 23 again. It says, but if your eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? If we're walking in deception about God's desire for us to have material things here on this earth then how great that darkness is. In other words, there's no way we can expect to receive from God provision or the things that we need if we're walking in darkness pertaining to that area. If we've been deceived by by riches or by religious teaching about what God would have for us or wouldn't have for us. Notice verse 24. He says, no man can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now mammon stands for money, unrighteous money here on the earth. And I use that term because it's one of the terms that Jesus used when he was talking about the unjust judge. He used unrighteous mammon to provide for his future. Jesus wasn't commending him. Jesus wasn't saying that we should do a dishonest thing like he was doing. But he was trying to make the point, did make the point, about how we should use money and resources, physical and material resources to provide for our future. And the only way you can do that is by laying up treasure in heaven. Laying up treasure in heaven. Now, one of the points I want to get across to you, folks, is think about how early on this is in Jesus' ministry. Think about how early on this is in his teaching. Chapter 5 starts the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes through the Beatitudes. But very quickly in chapter 6, he begins talking about your attitude or your thinking about money. God wants us to think right about money, and it's important, it's critical that we do think right about money so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has provided for us through the work of Jesus. But when he starts talking about laying up treasure in heaven, let's see if we can figure out what that is. Look with me over to Matthew, cha- I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Let's start reading in verse seventeen. And when he talking about Jesus, when he was gone forth into the way, There came one running and kneeled to him and said, asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That's a pretty good question to ask Jesus, folks. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said, now I want you to notice he loved him when he was rich. Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. For he had great possessions. I want you to notice that Jesus is telling the man there's only one thing that you lack. You're keeping the word in other areas of your life, but there's one thing missing. And that one thing that you're missing is treasure in heaven. And here's how you get treasure in heaven you take the resources that you have and you give. He specifically identified giving to the poor in the rich young ruler's case, but it was too much for the rich young ruler to accept. He wasn't willing to get rid of or let turn loose of his possessions. Now, folks, there must be a, a, an, an unawareness on his part of what Proverbs chapter 19 verse 24 says. It says something like this. It says, he that giveth to the poor or taketh pity on the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord shall repay him again. So if you take that, and certainly Jesus knew, what, knew that principle, if you take what Jesus told him to do, rather than being if the man if the rich young ruler had the right understanding rather than being sad about God telling him to to let go and release some of his resources for the benefit of some other people specifically the poor he could have seen that as a repayment plan that would increase him from wherever he started and folks that's what giving and bringing your tithes into the storehouse is all about when we bring our tithes into the storehouse Or when we give as God puts it on our heart or we just have a heart to help somebody, a heart of compassion to help somebody. We're taking natural resources, specifically money, and we're turning it into treasure in heaven. Because the reason that we give the money, the reason that we pay our tithes and the reason that we give is because we believe God's word. We're believing God's word that he'll repay us if we're giving to the poor. We believe God's word that he's opening the windows of heaven to us if we, when we tithe and that he's pouring out a blessing upon us or will pour out a blessing upon us that there's not room enough to receive and then when we give over and above our tithe we're believing that it'll be given back to us so treasure in heaven is about activating your faith releasing money and funds into the work of the gospel is a transference of money into faith And it provides for us treasures in heaven. Now I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'd like to make a comment just right off the bat here, folks. I have a hard time with the way a lot of people teach the subjects of prosperity. In the first place, I believe with all of my heart, prosperity should be taught in the local church. Rather than some parachurch ministry, I believe that primarily because if somebody's going to talk to you about your money, they should be in a position where you can see their lives rather than just hear their teaching. Now, I'm not saying that people have done wrong by focusing on that or parachurch ministries, different ministries outside the local church have done the wrong thing in teaching that's none of my business nobody is my servant so I'm not in the position to judge them but I do know this I know that when people have a chance to see the life of the person that's doing the teaching it gives them or brings them to a whole new level of understanding and faith in my opinion as to whether or not it's working in my life before I tell you to Put it in practice for yours. So I think a lot of the teaching on prosperity that's being done and is being done in the body of Christ is not being done according to the way God would have it to be. If I'm going to teach giving, if I'm going to teach you to give or teach you to pay your tithes and I'm not paying mine, then it's going to be easy for you to see What is and is not taking place in my life? One thing about pastoring, you're around people all the time. You're interacting with the sheep. And that's the way that we get to know the life, not just the teaching, but the lives of the people that are ministering to us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is Moses preparing the children of Israel going into the promised land you remember because he struck the rock the Bible says that God told him to speak to God wouldn't let him go into the promised land so Moses is is instructing the children of Israel about what to expect in the promised land and how to conduct themselves when they get there Deuteronomy 8 verse 6 it says therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God To walk in his ways and to fear him. Now, remember, we started off in Isaiah 55, where God said, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. But here he's obviously expecting us to know what his ways are, because that's the instruction that he gives us through Moses. Keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. Folks, tests are all about bringing you into a better place. Verse 17, And thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. Several things I want you to see here, folks. One is certainly the commandment, the overriding commandment that Moses is instructing the children of Israel about is not forgetting that God is the one that brought you into the prosperity that you enjoy he says when you come into the promised land and the enemies are defeated and routed and so forth then you'll be able to take possession of a land it's a land that flows with milk and honey it's got all the resources you'll ever need but be careful that your heart's not lifted up now here's something that we need to keep in mind The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the prosperity of fools leads them to destruction. Well, some people see that and think, well, we shouldn't want anything then. But I've got a better suggestion. Why don't we believe God to have whatever Jesus purchased for us and just not be a fool? I'll use the rich young ruler for an example. When Jesus told him to keep the commandments, his response was, I've kept all these things since my youth. Well, if the Bible is true and he's kept the commandments of the Lord, then no wonder he's rich. He would be rich as a result of the obedience, his obedience to the word. But when he hears that he's supposed to give up what he has and give to the poor, which we've already identified According to the scripture, God would has declared his responsibility to repay anything that we give. So he's really not giving up anything. But he's not willing to take the step of faith to put his future, and that's what resources are for us. Resources provide for us now and in the future. He wasn't willing to put his future in God's hands and turn those resources into faith. Now here's something that uh, that I've noticed over the years and that is a lot of people that start off with nothing which most of us do. A lot of people that start off with nothing and find out that God is faithful and God prospers us. He brings resources into our hands and he adds them. It's very seldom a, a windfall that, that turns our lives around overnight but most often it's A harvest that comes up as a result of our faith over a period of time and over that period of time our ability to give our ability to provide resources increases Uh, for example i remember the first thousand dollar gift that i gave my goodness i must have thought that the whole world revolved around that thousand dollars but I'm a lot, it's a lot easier for me to give $1,000 now than it was then. And part of that is because God has prospered me. But a lot of times what happens is that people step out in faith. In many cases, get out on the edge of the limb and cut the limb off so you fall into the hands of God. Or at least that's the way it feels to us sometimes. As we do prosper, we quit stretching our faith. We get to a point where we're much more comfortable than we used to be and the amounts are bigger for us and so we quit stretching our faith I believe that we should always keep our faith stretching and active I believe that's the way that it should be I'm certain it's the way that it would would benefit the body of Christ to a greater degree but a lot of people that are willing to step out in faith as young people aren't so willing to do it when they get older well, where does the Bible say that we should trust God for finances when we're young and then get enough to where we can sock it away into the bank account and let it ride from there? I'm not saying that people's hearts change, but it's easy to get comfortable after God has prospered you and stop stretching your faith. One of the first things God ever talks to you about as, a, as a, uh, a young Christian or a newborn Christian, newborn believer, is money. The reason for that is what we just read over in Mark—I'm uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 6, where it says no man can serve two masters. One of the first things you're going to have to identify, one of the first things we do have to identify in our Christian lives is whether we're going to serve money or whether we're going to serve God. Now the way you can identify which one you're serving is where your money goes. Just as Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. People always follow the money. Nobody ever built a house without stopping by to check on the process. When we invest in something, we check up on that investment. Well, if we're investing treasure in heaven then God expects us to check up on that investment too. And so there's a real temptation to stop stretching your faith financially as you get older and as as things and circumstances change. Let's back up again a little bit into this 8th chapter of Deuteronomy and see it. What does God consider to be a a prosperous condition? Well, verse 12 Well, let's back up a little bit further than that. Verse 7, it says, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. In other words, What God considers to be prosperity is an existence where we have everything or have access to everything that we'll ever need. The law of Genesis is the seed everything produces after its own kind because the seed of whatever fruit tree it is or whatever uh, plant it is, is in itself. Well, in the same way, the seed for everything that we'll ever need is in us. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it or out of it flow the issues of life. We have, because we're born again, because Jesus lives on the inside of us, we have the resources, spiritual resources, to attain or to take hold of anything and everything that we'll ever need. One of the the greatest things I learned from Brother Hagin is how that he always looked inside of himself first before anything else. He understood, and I picked up a little bit of it being around him. Of course, as I grew and matured a little bit myself, now I see it even more clearly than I did when I was around him. But he understood that everything he'd ever need was right on the inside of it. And you may say, well, if you need finances, how are those on the inside of you? Well, the thing that's on the inside of us is a spiritual force called faith. And faith takes hold of what Jesus purchased for us. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, the Bible says. And so the punishment for poverty was something that he paid for. So there is no and never should be any lack or loss for the believer. Because all we have to do is establish those boundaries or let flow those issues of life. Which is the word of God spoken with our mouths. Believed in our heart and spoken with our mouths. So when God's talking about a good land. When he tells the children of Israel he's bringing them into a good land. Obviously he's talking about the land that we know of as Israel now. He was talking about a geographic location. For us it's not so much a geographic location. But anything and everything that we have access to in our lives our christian lives we're not farmers in the same way that most of those people were back then so the things that they were looking for the ground to produce for them in our ground or our ground produces primarily finances or money but it's still the same thing it's still the same source of resources verse 10 he goes on and says when thou hast eaten and art full then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he has given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping his commandments, or not keeping his commandments, and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Now folks, if you compare verse 10 and verse 11, he tells you how not to forget the Lord. Verse 10, he says, bless the Lord. In other words, rejoice and be thankful for what God has given you. The only way that we can forget that God was the one that brought it to us is if we quit thanking him for what he's done. You can't live a life of thankfulness or gratefulness or praise for what God has done in your life and forget that he's the one that did it. So there are simple ways to keep yourself on track without being destroyed by the blessing of God, which some unfortunately allow themselves to do. So what is it that we should be thanking God for? Verse 12, he's talking about the same thing. He says, lest when thou had, hast eaten and are full. So God expects our existence to be fully furnished with everything that we need plus enough to be a blessing to somebody else. Lest when thou hast eaten and are full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein. God must not have a problem with a good house. Having a good house is not something that takes you away from God If you remember to thank him for it and if you're grateful for it continuously like the Bible says that we should be, there's no way you can forget him. Verse 13, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. Now folks, this is talking about a storehouse situation. God said that if we'd bring our tithes into the storehouse, he would command the blessings upon those storehouses. God doesn't expect you to live at the edge. And the statistics of people in America that are living on the edge, living on one paycheck to another, is staggering. Well, Christians shouldn't have to live like that. That's not the way that God wants us to live. Now, there may be a time where we're proving God to be faithful in the area of finances, where that is the case, but it shouldn't be the case all the time there were a lot of years where Beth and I were living right on the edge and the idea that we were living from paycheck to paycheck wasn't even accurate. We were living beyond paycheck to paycheck because not all those paychecks paid the bills. But God didn't expect things to stay that way. And by faith in God's word, his faithfulness to honor his word, those things change for us just like I'm sure they've changed for you. So when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, well, if all you have is multiplied, and if your silver and gold is multiplied, then he's got to be talking about a surplus then, doesn't he? And notice something else about this. He talks about prospering or increasing where herds and flocks are concerned, as well as silver and gold. The Jews are are real interesting people when it comes to finances and they take a lot of grief from the fact that God has blessed the, the Jewish people and that they recognize the blessing of Abraham and they're able to make a profit or make an income out of things that somebody else might not be able to unless they know who they are in Christ. One of the things about the Jews that I've always found interesting is that they begin to teach their children from a very early age about multiple streams of income. When the Jews retire from one vocation or one career, they never quit. They never quit working. They just find something else that they can put their hand to because they know whatever they put their hand to is going to prosper. I think the people of God should be a little more open to the reality of a greater blessing that God has in store in mind for us than many of us ever uh, accept or take hold of. So when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. In other words, he says, don't let that happen. Don't let your heart be lifted up. And don't forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He says, remember that wilderness experience. Remember certainly the things that God did to deliver you from Egypt. But remember when it was tough. Remember when it was hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck, day to day. Remember those times. Remember God's faithfulness to pull you through those times. To see you through into a better place. Folks, again, it all comes back to being grateful and thankful to the Lord for what he's done. That should be a part of our everyday Christian walk, is thanking God for what he's done, especially in the harder places in your life, the places where nobody knew anything was going on except you and God. Skip down with me to verse 18 again. Well, let's pick up with verse 17. He says, and thou shalt say in thine heart. Here's the warning. Don't get to the place where you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth.' The devil will do everything he can to keep you from having enough. But once you put put the word of God to work in your life and see the increase that the Bible says will experience, then the devil tries to push you the other direction and say, well, you did this, not God. Those are the times where we need to remember to be thankful to him and keep before our eyes his goodness and his faithfulness. Verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. These words power and wealth are the same words. It literally means he gives you resources to get resources. He gives us spiritual resources to get material resources. It's God that gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. God gives us the force of faith to bring into reality those material things, those possessions, those finances that we need to take care of ourselves and our families and even to have more to give to others. Remember, God gives bread to the uh, eater as well as uh, seed for the sower. He not only wants you to be fed and your family to be taken care of, he wants you to have more or an abundance so he can influence you according to his will to help other people. So it's God that gives us the power to get wealth. Again, the power to get wealth, folks, is simply the force of faith. The spiritual force of faith that brings material resources into our hands he gives us the power to get wealth for the purpose of establishing his covenant now the covenant that he's talking about is the covenant that he made with Abraham initially that passed down to Isaac and that passed down to Jacob or Israel and then all to the uh, throughout all the descendants of Abraham but remember also that the Bible says in Galatians chapter 3 that if we be Christ, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the seed of Abraham and the covenant that he's established and will establish according to Deuteronomy 8.18 belongs to the believers, the children of God, those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. Not just the physical descendants of Abraham, but the real children of Abraham, that God had in mind were those of us that have made Jesus the Lord of our lives those of us that have been born again now the most important part of this verse to me is the very last part he gives us power to get wealth to establish his covenant which you swear unto thy forefathers but notice that last phrase as it is this day in other words Abraham or Moses rather in teaching the children of Israel says that that promise is just as real for you today as they were going into the promised land or would soon be going into the promised land. That blessing that made Abraham rich and caused him to be a blessing to others, he said that's just as real in the day that they were living in as it was when God first spoke to Abraham and told him where to go. Told him to follow him. In other words, the covenant never runs out. The covenant never gets old. So the same spirit of faith, the same power to get wealth that Moses is talking to the children of Israel about, that will bring them into the good land so that they can build houses and their herds and their flocks can multiply and their silver and gold can multiply. All those things belong to the reader at whatever point they take hold of it by faith just like it belonged to Abraham when God first spoke it. As it is this day means you've got the same blessing, you've got the same promises, you've got the same results that God said he would bring into being wherever you are right now, just like it was true when God originally spoke it to Abraham. As it is this day means the covenant is still active. It means you have just as much a right to it as any descendant of Abraham because we're in Christ God wants us to prosper folks and especially in these last days when the time is short and the shorter and shorter time gets the more important it is for us to have resources to have storehouses to have resources available money and finances available So that when God speaks to us to give towards something or to make some project happen. Whatever he tells us to do. To give to the poor. To help our fellow Christians. Whatever it might be. I believe it's more important than ever that we have a pile of resources available. So that we don't have to go gather money or try to gather money up to do it. But can instead just simply act immediately on whatever God tells us to do. Finally, one of the things that the Bible talks about as far as the last days is concerned is the last day's glory of God. A working of the Holy Ghost or a move of the Holy Ghost in the last day to bring forth the precious fruit of the earth. Now in Haggai chapter 2, God is speaking to his children, speaking to his people about the glory of God, about this move of the Holy Ghost that is to take place. And right in the middle of the scriptures that he talks about, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. So whatever is coming down the road, whatever move of God, I've got my own ideas about what it might include. I'm sure I'm not smart enough to know all of it. But there may be other things that you have in your heart or a witness that you have in your heart about what, pertains to that last day move of the Holy Ghost the one thing that we can know for certain is that the silver and gold of the earth has something to do with it otherwise God wouldn't have put it right in the middle of the scriptures that he talks about his glory being revealed but he does he says the silver is mine and the gold is mine so there's something about the last days and the silver and gold of the earth that we should keep our eyes open for and keep our hearts attuned to one of the things that the Lord dealt with my heart about some years back is where the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just James chapter 5 talks about people that have laid up treasures for the last days. He's not talking about Christians. He's talking about people of the world, how that they've tried to uh, sock away money and resources and finances, but those things are going to be open to the believers, the people of God. Now, if the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, when do we, the just, need it? Well, we sure won't need it after the rapture. We won't have any need of it while the tribulation is going on because we won't be here. We won't have any need of it in the millennium because Jesus will be ruling over the nations of the world with a rod of iron. So there would be no benefit whatsoever for the wealth of the wicked to be laid up for the just following the rapture of the church. Well then does, not, does that not necessarily or by definition guarantee that the wealth of the wicked which is laid up for the just has to make whatever change or whatever things take place in the last days of the church i don't see any other option there folks do you i don't see how it could be any other way well that's the day that we're living in we're the generation that saw israel come back into being as a nation with are the generation that saw the 1967 Six-Day War where Jerusalem came back under the control of Israel. Those are two things that Jesus said that the generation that saw those things would not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. I don't know how, how close that means we are. But however close it is, God's still going to have to do a quick work And we need to be ready for it. One of the things that John Osteen said when he was teaching on mastering your money in his church. He said this. He said that the Lord dealt with him about teaching on prosperity and God's attitude toward finances and so forth. For this purpose. And this is what he said the Lord told him. He said, I want my people to be in a position to receive finances without being ashamed of being rich. Look at how the rich take a beating in the world that we live in. Everybody wants their money. Political parties want their money. But it's looked upon as a a bad thing if you're in the upper 1%. If you're a 1%er, which means rich by whatever level that they use to measure. Those are people that they want to be rich shamed primarily out of greed and envy because the people that are doing the shaming aren't a part of that group i believe the church ought to make up the one percenters of this this country in this world and if we know who we are in christ if we know what god has provided for us there's no reason for us to pat ourselves on the back if we are in that category because we simply took hold of what god has done through Jesus and anybody can take hold of it just like we did I think the church ought to grow past a stigma any kind of stigma that the world tries to attach to the rich because the Bible says Jesus became poor for our sakes who knew no sin that we through his poverty might be made rich rich is always a relative term It doesn't mean a specific amount of money. But rich certainly means an abundant supply. I believe God's got some real big things ahead for us, folks. I see days of spectacular increase coming to pass. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. Lord, we don't want these things that we see in the Scripture to be taken as a part of greed. We're not greedy. We're not trying to prosper at somebody else's expense. We simply want to be in a position to receive everything that you have for us. So therefore, Father, we thank you for spectacular increase in these last days. We thank you for the wealth of the wicked that's placed in the hands of the just. We thank you for giving seed to the sowers. Thank you for giving seed to us to sow. As well as bread for us to eat. Father, we believe that the silver and gold is yours. The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to you. You are the creator of this world. And you will glorify the name of Jesus before he comes. Put us in a position, Father, where we can know your attitude, hold fast to the way that you see things, and partake of everything that Jesus purchased for us. Make us a greater blessing, Father, according to your plan and purpose and what Jesus accomplished for us. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.